All right, let's get weird. Welcome to the Life Plus God podcast. My name is Alyssa Robinson, and today I am sitting here with two pastors. We're mixing it up. We're having a three-top conversation here today. So I've got our senior pastor, Reverend Daniel Humbert, and our associate pastor, Reverend Karen Kraska. And uh, man, so month of July in this church, we are focusing on weird stories from the Bible. And... There are a lot of weird stories in the Bible. There are. There are. And so there are only so many Sundays in the month of July. And so some of the stories that we're not able to cover in worship, we're covering in this podcast. And the Life Plus God podcast is all about asking the tough uh, faith and life questions. And so my big question today is simply, what's up with Lot? (laughs) (laughs) So we are in the story of... Uh, Lot and his daughters and mixing in a little bit of Sodom and Gomorrah, which I think that y'all have heard <laughs> it's always of. always a lot of fun, right? Yeah, mixing a little so Sodom and Gomorrah. A, a little sprinkling of Sodom and Gomorrah, <laughs> and then we will <laughs> move on. But uh, you know what? I would like to just start this episode by reading from the Bible so that we can make sure we are biblically relevant and we are covering everything that needs to be covered with this Really weird, creepy, according to Alyssa, story. Whoa, God agreed. And there God you go. <laughs> There's the timing of, of all things. <laughs> and so I guess I should mention it is pouring down rain here. Pouring. Rain here, yeah. And so if you're hearing a little rain, hearing a little thunder and lightning, it is simply God applauding our efforts. God talking. <laughs> no sulfur, no fire. All right. Genesis 19. Chapter, nope, chapter 19. Genesis chapter 19, verses 30 through 38. The title of this section is called The Shameful Origin of Moab and Ammon. So that's a great start. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to read this scripture, and then I'm going to ask Daniel to give us a brief summary of what led up to this part of the story. Okay. Okay. Starting with verse 30. Now Lot went up out of Zor and settled in the hills with his two daughters, for he was afraid to stay in Zor. I don't know if I'm saying that right. No. So he lived in a cave with his two daughters. And the firstborn said to the younger, Our father is old, and there is not a man on earth to come into us after the manner of all the world. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him, so that we may preserve offspring through our father. So they made their father drink wine that night, and the firstborn went in and lay with her father father. He did not know when she lay down or when she rose. On the next day, the firstborn said to the younger, look, I lay last night with my father. Let us make him drink wine tonight also. Then you go in and lie with him so that we may preserve offspring through our father. So they made their father drink wine that night also. And the younger rose and lay with him. And he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. Thus, both the daughters of Lot became pregnant by their father. The first Firstborn bore a son and named him Moab. He is the ancestor of the Moabites to this day. The younger also bore a son and named him Ben Ami. He is the ancestor to the Ammonites to this day. Fun. Yeah, well, there you go. <laughs> Yet again, another weird text in the Bible. All right, right Daniel, how did we get here? 
Yeah, so it's a weird deal. So there's what's known as the Lot cycle, Genesis 13 to 19, and this is the story of Lot, which of course includes Sodom and Gomorrah. And just briefly, uh, you know, Lot sort of leaves, claims this this land, he separates from his uncle Abraham, and uh, then we come to chapter 18 of Genesis, and we have this famous text of the uh, angels who show up, and and Abraham d- demonstrates uh, amazing hospitality. And these angels then go to Sodom and Gomorrah, and they encounter Lot, and uh, Lot invites them to stay with him. And um, the town of Sodom, all of the men, it says, it's a fascinating little description. It says in, in uh, chapter 19, it says... Um, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man surrounded the house. So everybody shows up, right? I mean, it's just like real clear. And they want to have uh, sexual relations with these guests. And Lot says, no, please don't do that. And then he's, he offers up his daughter, says, hey, I got two daughters. Uh, why don't you have literally your way with them? And um, and the, the strangers or the town people say, no, we want the men. And, and we have some stuff that goes on with all that. Then... After that scene, um, God says, we need to destroy this town. This place is horrible. I've heard their outcry. Uh, It's a nasty place. And so God destroys Sodom and Gomorrah. And in that, some people know the famous story of, of Lot's wife, you know, turning into a pillar of salt. She looked back and all that kind of stuff. And so all of Sodom and and Gomorrah are destroyed. And that's where we find ourselves leading up to this weird story about Lot and his two daughters, is that Sodom has been destroyed. All of their known uh, relatives, all of the known people, everybody that they would have a comprehension of being are not there. And that's what leads us to this story. The way that I want to address this story, because... What we're trying to do every time that we open the Bible is we're trying to figure out, okay, why is this here? What can we learn from this? Uh, What is God speaking into us today? And this is a really tough story to try and do that. And so what I'd like for us to do is talk through, I did my super Google research (laughs) and I found... Seminary online. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I found a few theories that have been put out by uh, academic... I don't... Bible authority, Bible, Bible, Bible people. Uh, (laughs) I don't know where you were looking other than Google. People who know more than me. So proposed theories from different Bible scholars. um, And we're going to go over all these theories? We're going to try. Um, The last theory is my own. Oh, okay. I just wanted to make sure. (laughs) That is not from a Bible scholar. Theory number five is straight from the mouth of Alyssa Robinson. There you go. Um, So I just want to give a brief overview of these theories. And then I really want us to dig into what we believe, what we don't believe, where we can kind of piece together and make sense of what's going on in this story. But first, I want to set up some cultural things to keep in mind. Absolutely. Uh, This is also straight from me. So if y'all have more (laughs) to add to what could have possibly been going on in this culture. So as we start digging into the story and what could possibly be happening, 
First of all, I want us to remember that as we are reading the story, we are deeply entrenched in a patriarchy that us modern day folks will never fully understand. And so as we try to put ourselves into the places of these characters and imagine what they could have been thinking or feeling, as far as I'm concerned, I don't think we'll ever be able to fully grasp that. Um, so I want to put that out there first of like, we are very disconnected from this culture. Yes, very, very much, much so. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, another thing to keep in mind, which is a part of this culture, at this time, women are property to be traded and used as bargaining tools. Um, specifically in this story, we see that happening. They are treated as subhuman uh, throughout much of the Bible. And I feel like it's pretty clear to me that Lot treats his daughters as subhuman mm. by offering them up to be raped by strangers. Absolutely, uh, It's a bargaining tool. Um, and three, we don't know how the story ends for these women. Uh, the Bible doesn't complete their narrative. It just kind of moves on. We don't even know their names. They are just referred to as Lot's daughters. They disappear from the narrative. All we know for sure is that Ruth pops up later in scripture as a Moabite woman. So we can assume that their descendants lived on. Right. Um, is that fair or is there anything y'all want to add for some cultural context and understanding? Yeah, I mean, I would just say that third point you make, uh, two things. One is I'll come back to Ruth and the Moabites because that really actually becomes really important in terms of even Jesus's lineage. Uh, but secondly, we don't know the end of the story for these women because of the first two points, right? Because it's patriarchy and because uh, the, the way women are treated. Uh, and so that's the sad part about the reality of the cultural context yeah agreed okay. that's why there's so many times as you said it's just daughters or wife there's their names aren't even attributed yeah. to the characters yeah. potiphar's wife we know right. we have this list of very mm -hmm. influential mm -hmm. big women stories in the that we don't know their names <laughs> yeah right. okay so five interpretation theories of the story <laughs> of lot's daughters theory number one the hero theory uh, so if we are functioning under the assumption that Lot's daughter's exposure to the world is only what we've seen, then what we know is that their entire life, their entire community, as far as they can see, has been completely destroyed and demolished. There is no hope for humanity to continue without them. It is dead and it ends with them. So there are some people that have this theory that they are heroes who only had one choice for the survival of their people. Uh, and some rabbis build on that by saying that since the women weren't punished or destroyed and their children lived on, that their actions of sleeping with their father were actually blessed and anointed by God. So that's the hero theory, theory number one. Yeah. Theory number two is the trauma theory Lot's daughters are victims of extreme patriarchy, misogyny, and sexual violence. If we are to look at the culture we're raised in, they're raised in, it's very possible they are suffering severe psychological trauma, which could potentially normalize the behavior of sleeping with your father. Uh, and this is just me adding on my little side note. I suspect this is not the first time they've slept with their father, and it could almost be considered a Stockholm Syndrome type experience if we are leaning into the trauma theory. 
So you you caused me to look up Stockholm mm-hmm. syndrome because I didn't even know what that was. Oh so really? Yeah. I watch so many crime documentaries. <laughs> yeah. I <laughs> so I learned like a something, right? Yeah, there you go. Me. Thank yes. you for that help. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Theory number three: historical agenda theory. This entire story is a mythological origin story created by the Israelites to defame Moabites and Ammonites. It is a tool to create an us versus them mentality and strengthen the bonds of the Israelites to dehumanize their enemies as nothing more than, quote, incestuous bastards. Remember, this is something important to keep in mind. The Bible presents everything from the Israelite perspective. It is the story and history of the Israelite people. And they were constantly fighting the Moabites and Ammonites for territory. So that's another theory. This is so much information. (laughs) Number four, this is a fun one. Revenge theory. You like that one. (laughs) This is in line with the trauma theory, but with a little bit of a different motivation. The daughters have experienced trauma and sexual exploitation at the hands of their father because he offered them up to be raped by strangers. And uh, they slept with him as a form of revenge to shame him using the only power and tools that women at this time had at their disposal. Um, I don't see a lot of evidence behind that one, but hey, it's a theory that's out there. Uh, theory number five. This is the one by Alyssa, and I will uh, Dr. Calm, Alyssa Robinson. Yeah, I will calm my language. Um, my theory is called "This is BS Theory," and the theory goes like this: This entire story is BS. Oh, we need description of what this is. Lot is a father who sexually abuses his daughters, is caught doing it because they got pregnant, and tells the story in a way to make himself the victim and save a little bit of his dignity. I personally find it more likely that a man sexually abuses his daughters than daughters manipulating a father to have sex. And I also suspect that if he were put on trial today and told this story on the stand in modern day, I think everyone would see right through it. The evidence of his past behavior suggests he doesn't value sexual morality or ethics. So that's Theory five is Alyssa Robinson's theory. Uh, So I guess we'll just strike that one from the record. Um, But those are five super high level theories of how people have said, hey, let's let's interpret this through a specific lens. Of course, there are going to be way more theories than this. Uh, Pretty much anything that you could imagine as a potential motivation for this story being included in scripture, we could add to this list. But uh, these are the main ones that I wanted to explore today. So after hearing all of that information, I'd like to hear from y'all. What is your initial reaction to all of this? Um, I think maybe a combination of some of these. I would rule out just the revenge theory. I think that in Sodom and Gomorrah, and if, from what Scripture says, it was more than homosexuality. It was more. It was more than incest. It was. It was all it was kinds violence. of violence, yeah. violence, and like you say, rape and pillage and violating other people against their will in all forms of ways. So I think that you're giving Lot too much credit that he would be shamed by sleeping with his daughters. I don't see that he would probably have necessarily even been embarrassed by that. Oh, do you think that that would have been a normalized part of the culture? 
I think that, well, in Sodom and Gomorrah, it certainly was. Yeah. <laughs> in Sodom and Gomorrah, there was a lot of incestuous behavior. So I think that's giving a lot, a lot of credit. I think somewhere in the middle of some of these theories, the hero theory sounds great. I'd like to think that that might be, that that might be it. We're going to save our people. Um, clearly, I don't know. But when we look at biblical characters in general and throughout the Old Testament and even in the New Testament, we get to see people in all their failures and their vulnerabilities and their sinfulness. And uh, we're not, we're not shielded from that. We're not, they're not superstars that we don't see their, their failures. And throughout the Bible, like David, who commits adultery and Moses, who's a murderer. And, you know, there's, we see someone who has God's favor or who is a descendant of Abraham and you think, oh, this is a man of God. And then we read all this horrible atrocity, the atrocities that have happened and go, wow, they're really not that great. And so in my, in my thought, I think, you know what? We are all, <laughs> we are all as human beings so flawed. The best among us, the most righteous, you know, called by God blessed by God, um, we are not above really bad behavior. Well, well, do y'all think that Lot is called by God? Is, is he one of the people that we're holding up at the level of Moses or David or whomever? Yeah, no, not at all. No. I mean, you know, I would just say this in sort of following up with what Karen said was, you know, first of all, we're choosing these texts because they're weird, right? And every text we're going to have throughout the series is just weird. And so part of our goal as a church that values the Bible, right, it's about biblical relevance is one of our values. You have to address not only the things we want to hear and read and better mm -hmm. understand and all that, you got to address stuff like this that's really weird. And of course, a part of our goal was to sort of say, golly, what, what can we learn? How can we grow from this? What, you know, what would be benefit us? And so... Um, here's sort of my take on this. So the book of Genesis is a book about our beginnings, right? I mean, that's the whole purpose of the book. It's how we came to be. It describes both archetypes uh, in Adam and Eve, as well as uh, people who represent all kinds of things. And names actually become quite important, right? And there, are, uh, in the book of Genesis, there are actually a number of females who are named, and their names have value and meaning and purpose. And, uh, and so... Um, a part of what we discover in this book is this opportunity to see how does both evil and good, how does both um, those things that we cherish and value, as well as those things that we sort of abhor, how does that come into being? And that's a part of the story of this whole book, right? And so this this lot narrative of Genesis 13 to, to 19 is is helping us to better understand that. And so when we get to these theories, for instance, like the hero theory actually has some validity, right? There's, there's this sense in which, golly, everybody's destroyed, and, and it, it feels as though our only hope is to just procreate in our own families. We know it's not right. We know it's not the way. But, golly, there seems to be no other option, right? So that could have some validity to it. I don't subscribe to that, and I— because I, and the reason I don't is because I don't think that's about our purpose. I, that is, say, the, the Genesis purpose of why did we come to be? How did this happen? Uh, on the other hand, the trauma theory likewise has some validity to it as well. I think, man, if, if I've lived in this uh, sexual, through this sexual trauma and um, it's, it's 
confused who I am and what my being is and and how the future might come to be, I, I could see some validity in that as well. Well, well, and let's, you mentioned that you uh, hadn't heard of Stockholm Syndrome. So I don't want to leave our yeah, listeners yeah. guessing if they haven't heard of it either, but it's basically um, when you are uh, kidnapped or taken away in some way, you are removed from society from someone against your will. And I am only exposed to this one person, this one environment. And as a means of survival for me to be able to cope with the environment that I am in, I start to relate more to my captor. So that's a lot of the trauma theory is like, hey, yeah, they did these things, but uh, ultimately they are just trying to emotionally cope and survive right. and protect their mental health. Right, right, yeah. And I really appreciated you mentioning it because I guess I knew of the concept but didn't know right. what it was called. Right. And, and so I'm old enough to remember Patty Hearst and, mm-hmm. and you know, that she had the Stockholm Syndrome, right, that she sort of related to them. And as a kid, of course, I didn't get all that. I didn't understand that. But now it makes more sense. And so, yeah, I I appreciate that. I think it's very helpful to kind of describe that. I happen to relate most or connect most with the historical agenda theory, and it's for this reason. It goes back to the purpose of Genesis. If Genesis is about our beginnings and how we came to be and what we understand about the world— Part of what we know in these namings, right, of people's names and or place names, like Zorar, you know, has a meaning, and Sodom and Gomorrah have a meaning, and people's names have meanings. We call them etiologies, just like the etymology of a word means this is how it came to be. An etiology is, how did we come to be? How did our people, or how did our culture, how did we come to be? And these etiologies are all throughout the book of Genesis. And so, in describing from the Israelite perspective, uh, the Moabites and the Ammonites, I'm going to describe it in this way, and I'm going to tell a story um, that really kind of points out these folks are, are messed up. These folks are not any good, and here's how bad they are. They were created out of clearly a, a, an incestuous relationship that is not normal, should not be adhered to or acknowledged or whatever, approved of, and therefore from the very beginning, they're not going to be good people. And Genesis is never um, wrapped up with all of the facts. It's a story of faith. So it's not going to have a bunch of good historical data or Mm -hmm. necessarily even factual data. It's going to be a faith story that helps us better understand. Why are these Ammonites and Moabites not any good, right? And it was funny. I, I, I knew of this but had not remembered. So Moab or the Moabites, the word, it's not described for us here, uh, but it means from my father. That's what Moab literally means. Well, by golly, that's kind of a good description of what happened. And Ben-Ami, from which the Ammonites come, means son of my people. Well, it, I, I come from my own people, right? My own father in this case. So um, to me, that makes the most sense. And it helps me to reconcile this atrocious circumstance, just like it was horribly atrocious that Lot offered up his daughters uh, to the people of Sodom. It's likewise atrocious to think this story, uh, verses 30 to 38, is in the Bible, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, mm-hmm. why does this kind of stuff need to be in the Bible, right? Mm-hmm. And then I think, well, if Genesis in particular is trying to tell a story about how people came to be, right, uh, whether it's the Israelites or the Ammonites or the Moabites, um, this is a way to tell that story. 
And it doesn't have to have a bunch of proper facts or historical data. It really just is trying to tell us how did these folks come to be? And then in, in the future, like in Kings or in some of the other historical books, uh, we then begin to know why uh, the Israelites are fighting the Ammonites and the Moabites all the time and why they're not, quote-unquote, good people. And um, uh, Deuteronomy even tells us, man, they're not even allowed to come in to worship God, right? I mean, they're part of these tribes, but they're not even allowed to come in and worship God. And we can always go back to Genesis 19, 30 to 38, and say, well, this is why they mm-hmm. came out of a bad set of circumstances. Do you think that this scripture is written in bias by the Israelite people to paint the Moabites and the Ammonites a certain way? Because that was par- also part of the historical agenda theory. Well, sure. I mean, uh, all of the Hebrew scriptures are written from their perspective. And so even though the Bible is not really history, that is to say it, it was written for history's purpose, it has history in it, um, it's written from a person or group of people's perspective. And so anytime, I mean, it's, it's chalk throughout the Old Testament, anytime a people, a culture, a nation uh, is at odds with the Israelites, they paint them as evil and they go to war with them. And in some cases they identify, God told us to go to war with these people, right? And in, a, in an even horrible specific case, they believe God has said, uh, we're going to uh, rape and pillage and, and take all the booty as well. It's not, we're not just going to kill these people, we're going to take all their stuff as well, right? So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's written from a perspective like any book would be. So neither of y'all are jiving with my BS theory, huh? I'm, I'm not <laughs> jiving with that. Yeah, yeah. No, so not so I, much. Yeah, I was talking, it's funny, you know, talking about scripture because uh, I was, I'm often during my lunch break, because we usually record these in the afternoon, I'm sitting in the lunchroom and I'm multitasking. And as I'm eating my lunch, I'm taking <laughs> notes on the podcast that I'm about to record and making sure I'm ready and everything. And so the question often comes up, hey, what's this week about? Mm. Uh, and so today I said, oh, we're talking about Lot's daughters. And my niece and nephew were in the room, five and eight years old. <laughs> and they said, what's that story? And I said, oh, that's a Bible story that's not safe for children. And it's just <laughs> so funny that I even have to say that. Mm. Um, but as I was having this conversation, um, I don't know how stories like this get founded. If it was like an actual historical event that happened with Lot and Lot told the story and it was Lot's story that got passed down from generation to generation, or if it is the people creating this story to push forward a narrative uh, historically for our people. But when I was thinking about in my BS theory, uh, Lot, I'm like, man, Every woman that surrounds Lot faces ruin. Mm. She is either turned into a pillar of salt, destroyed, 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 Mm -hmm. offered up to be raped in an incestuous relationship. And so I'm just like, what's going on, Lot? Like every woman in your immediate vicinity is either murdered or raped or in like... a sexual relationship with you. And I just, it is too much for me with my modern understanding of uh, 
blaming the victim and <laughs> the Me Too movement and all of these things, it is so hard for me to remove my modern day mindset from this story. It is. And uh, and so I think we, we need to own that, right? We need to own, golly, we can't fully comprehend. We can't fully grasp. And yet we got to also ask the question, golly, Genesis has 50 chapters and six of those chapters deal with this guy named Lot and his relationship. Well, that's 10%, friends. Mm-hmm. And so we got to go, there must be something about all this, right? right? Mm-hmm. And a part of it is uh, what you're identifying as the historical agenda theory, which is really, it's not so much history as in factual history, but it's history as in how did we come to be? And Here's Lot, who's related to the father of many nations, Abraham, right? That is the founder of all three of the or three of the major world religions, and uh, we have to ask: so, what does he represent? Well, in in part, what he represents is how bad we can sometimes be, and how corrupt our is our human nature, and um, and therefore we're going to have some stories that demonstrate that. And while I don't in any way or form justify what Lot did in chapter 19 with regard to his daughters and the people of Sodom, it does highlight a culture that cherished hospitality of strangers more than it cherished either women or daughters, right? And so as atrocious as it seemed to us, it was actually kind of normal to say, I would rather save these guests than my own daughters. Mm-hmm. And by golly, I'm not going to justify that. I just know that that was a part of the culture. And likewise here, when it talks about incest, and I mean, so let's just, you know, I'm a one on the Enneagram, right? So I, I kind of want to, <laughs> you know, figure stuff out. And so when I think of this, I think here's how much we're not in this story is not in tune with uh, historical fact. And I know this doesn't have to literally be this way, but when when it says that, both daughters went in one day apart to lay with their father, and having gotten him drunk. I mean, how, how literally possible is it that they both got pregnant? I mean, I get that it is possible for sisters and or siblings to get on similar cycles in the same house. I, I get that part of it. But to me, that just sort of mm-hmm. highlights the fact that right. this is not about accuracy. This is about telling a story of etiology, about how we have come to be, and in, in particular, how did the Moabites and the Ammonites come to be? Mm. Well, Karen, let me ask you. So you've been pastoring for a long time and you've probably Ooh, let's come not a, say how long you've probably come across, oh she's proud of it 24 <laughs> years she is proud of it and she just deserves, here just here she deserves it well yeah that's true more than 24 more years than, more than yeah that. yeah um so has you've probably run across this scripture a few times it's one yes. of those ones that we all know about mm-hmm. but we haven't spent a lot of time mm-hmm. focusing in it's not a story we constantly revisit in bible studies that we're a part of has your understanding of this scripture evolved over time or is it just something that you were like mm, let's just move past that one Honestly, I'd like to move past it. <laughs> I know. I've she's, sitting, yeah. she's sitting in this podcast with her arms folded, yes. leaning away from the microphone. She is so uncomfortable yes, right now. I, I, this is such an uncomfortable story. And I think, you know, when we think of earlier in Gen, well, Noah and the flood. Let's think about Noah and the flood. Humanity is bad. So God must come in and wipe humanity from the face of the earth. In Sodom and Gomorrah, and, you know, Obviously, Noah and his family was spared. In this story, 
Sodom and Gomorrah, they're evil, they're wicked, they need to be annihilated, and Abraham pleads on behalf of, oh, if there's, you know, 50 righteous, oh, if there's 20, if there's 10 righteous people. So why does Lot make the cut? Yeah, that's what I have struggled with. I'm like, are you freaking kidding me? He's like, you know, just awful in in his acts. And he he's found righteous. So there's a lot of, you know, theological constructs here that are are tripping hazards. So I have to say that I have to look at the whole context, the whole canon of the book of Genesis. And so I resonate more with the historical and Daniel put it beautifully that it's it's a it's a story of our beginnings more so as a a roadmap for what is good and what is evil and who is good and who is bad and all of that and so i don't take everything literally i don't take it literally i look at it as wow humanity needs god <laughs> we need god because um uh, we in our own sinfulness will will mess up big time what if, if someone is reading this story as a literalist, then what can they take away? Because I feel like I put all these theories out there with the assumption mm-hmm. that we're not literalists. We're trying to seek out the context of this scripture. Right. Um, and I think that, you know, I lean more towards scripture as God inspired as opposed to God yes. breathed. Yes. Um, but for those people who do take it literally and say, no, this is the absolute word of God, word for word. And it's mm-hmm. the same yesterday, today and tomorrow. And it means the same yesterday, today and tomorrow. How how do you explain the story to them? I, I couldn't because I couldn't reconcile it. So I believe when you as you said, contextually, the society, the the, the time, and uh, all that has to play into it. So is there value in reading the story? Absolutely. But is it um, take this line and this justifies or this is the rationale? I am not, I don't believe that that can be done with this story uh, definitively. I mean, you can make a case and argue it probably passionately, but I I can't resonate with that. Yeah, I, you know, I, of course, I'm not a literalist either, but, um, and I maintain there are no real literalists. I mean, if there were, we would still be stoning people and we would still be killing our children when they cuss us out. Or, and none of us could buy our clothes from Target. That's right, right. <laughs> right. So, there, to personally, I, and I don't say this in any lightness, I just say, I don't think there really are literalists. There are people who believe that they are literalists. And so, I would just say, I think they would maintain, to a certain degree, this historical agenda theory. That is to say, this is, this is an account of something that happened in history that describes and defines how the Moabites and the Ammonites came to be. That's a guess, but that's, that's what I would say. Well, and, and you mentioned at the beginning, there is a connection to Jesus here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can, can you walk us through that? Because I'm not 100% sure of the jump from Lot's daughters to Ruth to Jesus. Yeah, so thank you for that, because I'd forgotten. Um, uh, the, the jump is this. So uh, Ruth is a Moabite, right? So um, that's just a part of what we read in Scripture, is that she's a Moabite, which means she comes from this lineage that's supposedly created. But then what we also know when we get to Matthew's Gospel is that Ruth is literally in the lineage of Jesus. And so part of what that means is even stuff like this is connected to Jesus. And then secondly, what it also suggests is that um, Jesus came for everybody, 
even people of the Moabite tradition and the Ammonite tradition, and even out of circumstances like an incestuous relationship. And so the good news in all of that is Jesus comes for everybody, and everybody has access to this Savior, and you don't have to be of a specific lineage or specific ethnicity or anything of that nature. You get to have the access to this Savior. And to me, that's, that's huge. Would, would that have been a radical concept for people that uh, Jesus comes from the Moabites? Or, I mean, I guess I don't really fully understand how big this beef was. Do you know any history about... Well, well uh, I mean, I don't know that I'd call it big, but it's clearly a beef. And there are a few uh, scriptures, you know, uh, Nehemiah talks about it, Zephaniah. These are not major books in the <laughs> Bible, but they're there, right? And then... First uh, Kings and Second Kings reference these. Um, uh, there is a there is a small war between the Moabites, the Ammonites, and Moabites with the Israelites, but it's a known sort of chasm, right? Um, I think uh, your question, I think, was golly, how big of a deal is this? It's the the bigger deal is that our Savior, the Savior that comes for everybody. Um, is in this lineage that even the Israelites didn't care for. And it just sort of makes the point, if you will, of what our New Testament scriptures point out, which is Jesus really isn't just for a small group of people. He's for anybody, including these folks that we really don't even care for, mm-hmm. right? I mean, the New Testament analogy is the, the Samaritans, right? They become um, the people that the, the uh, Judeans and Israelites don't really care for, and yet Jesus tells story after story about how they are are welcome and a part of. This is the same kind of deal. Hmm. So going outside of this scripture specifically, when we come across these super weird, (laughs) gross stories, I'm going to say it's a gross story. It's a gross story. Um, And there are other gross stories too that are incestuous and violent and evil and just horrible, horrible stories. How should we approach these when we're reading through scripture? Because I think some of us have the tendency to just "Eh, skip that one. Let's go to the stuff that makes me feel cozy and comfortable and gives me peace and reminds me how to love and, and all of these things. What mindset should we come to this scripture with as we start to read things like this? Well, obviously, yes, there are lots of nasty stories. We don't want to dash babies' heads against a rock. And I think that when you come against those passages, I think human nature is to say, these are the good people. These are the bad people. These are the people that did the atrocities. And I would never do that. But when we look throughout scripture, there's evil and there's redemption and there's God in and through. So I think reading them, but historical context, you know, violence, war, famine, all of these things are just part of our human humanity in our um, human story. That's not a good answer to that question, but there, I don't have a, oh, wow, you know, this is just tidy and this is what this means. And this, uh, obviously, contextually, we can understand some of the, the violence and why it occurred, but yeah, it's uncomfortable. The Bible is full of, uh, of history, as Daniel said, but it's also um, 
not exactly a, a textbook, a history lesson. So there's got to be other lessons. I think it's why it's important to pray for the Holy Spirit to kind of guide us through Scripture because um, you can read a passage today and go back and read it in a few years and maybe have a different understanding and to read it's it to read in its entirety and not just, oh, I'm going to read this chapter, as you say. That's really kind of yuck. But then when you have a little bit more history and understanding, it's still yuck, but it does kind of put things in perspective of this is the world into which Jesus entered. Yeah. I think it's important to, to note that, that whole deal. Number one, again, because we uh, value biblical relevance, we would say the Bible's messy. And a part of what that points out is the world is messy, we are messy, and God tries to bring order out of that chaos. And, and, and then that leads us, secondarily for me at least, to every book of the Bible has a specific purpose, and Genesis' purpose is to help us understand how we came to be. And it's why several of the weird texts that we're going to use, both in worship and, and on these podcasts, is several of them are from Genesis, because that's the messiness of the world, and a part of Genesis's purpose is to help us see that um, God brings order out of chaos, and some of that chaos is nasty. And part of what we need is God to help us better deal with this. Now, one could also ask, as I'm sure you're even thinking in your little your mind, which is... My little mind. <laughs> your big mind. What? Your big mind, yeah. Um, is... Where's God in all of this? Mm-hmm. You know, how is God present in all of this? Yeah. And so uh, for me personally, I, I put it in the context of the purpose of the book, Genesis, the context of the world in which that book is being written, and then um, help myself to say, so God is going to eventually bring some order out of that particular occurrence. Uh, God God brings some further generations. God um, helps eventually to um, allow uh, Jesus to come that sort of overcomes any kind of um, uh, selectiveness or chosenness and that that becomes a good thing. So that's how I look at it. I think that sometimes scripture just has a way, because even though this story was super weird, I feel like it's very clear. I had a great time (laughs) compiling all this information (laughs) and researching all of the possible theories uh, of how this is. And I think that sometimes for me, uh, scripture is about sparking imagination Mm. and uh, exercising these beautiful minds that God gave us and our critical thinking. Um, because I know I have a tendency of being a dualistic thinker. Mm. And so I look to politicians, I look at people in power and I, I immediately analyze, okay, you're either good or evil. Which are you? Which are you? You're a hundred percent good or you're a hundred percent evil. And the Bible over and over again is like, yeah, nope. There is complexity Mm -hmm. in each and every human being. And of course, I'm not going to hold myself up to that standard. I know good and well, I am not a (laughs) hundred percent good or a hundred percent evil. I have a lot of both inside of me. And so I think that, um, just simply taking it and saying, ooh, this is a fun, interesting, weird story that I just want to roll around in for a little bit. I imagine that God takes joy in that. Mm, of I like, agree, look yeah. at her having so much yeah. fun with this weird <laughs> one. <laughs> 
All right. Well, I think that that we we've pretty much wrapped up this conversation. There's a whole lot more to be said about this scripture. And uh, if you ever want to have a conversation, reach out to Karen or Daniel because I'm tapped out. (laughs) (laughs) We'll get the Google. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Our Bible commentaries. No, thank you so much for having this weird conversation with me, exploring these theories. And uh, we're going to do it again next week. I believe we're going to be talking about Noah getting drunk. So (laughs) There's a theme. That'll be a really weird story. And uh, Daniel, we'll see you again then. And Karen, you're off the hook for that one. (laughs) Thank you. The Life Plus God podcast is hosted, written, and produced by me, Alyssa Robinson, and sponsored by Treach Memorial United Methodist Church in Flower Mound, Texas. If you live in the Flower Mound area, I invite you to stop by and see if Treach could be your new church family. You can learn more about all of our programs and events at tmumc.org. And I hope to catch you next week for our next episode of the Life Plus God podcast.